Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. With our Grace Restoration team, we have the wonderful opportunity to help single parents, generally single moms, with different things that they need. I've talked to you all about that before. And not always, but sometimes they're just starting all over for various reasons. Life happens, stuff happens, and sometimes they just literally are starting all over in a new location, a new situation, new schools, without anything, without any finances, with just the clothes on their back, and it can happen for different reasons. As I record this, we're helping a single mom and her two kids uh, in that situation, and it's made me kind of think about starting all over again. And so today, I want to take a look at a couple of people in Scripture who started all over, experienced total life change. And I want to relate that to us today and people that may come into our life who are in the same situation. The first one I want to talk about is the Apostle Peter. He was one of the 12, of course. He's the one who denied Jesus. He's the one who Jesus extended grace to in very tangible ways. He's the one who Jesus picked to lead the first church. And Jesus had a lot of patience with Peter, as he does with you and me. Peter was just totally immersed into the Jewish religion, as were most of the people in Jesus' life. And it took him quite a while, Peter, to let go of some vestiges of that. So at one time, many of you know this story, Jesus appeared to Peter in a vision, and he told him to go to the home of a pagan Roman soldier, people who were occupying Jerusalem, people who Jews thought were unclean, no good, beyond the reach of God, and hated to begin with because they were oppressing them. Jesus told him to go to this guy's house and help him, and Peter said, no, no, that's, you know, that's against our religion. Jesus said, well, it's not against my religion. I'm not into religion, basically. I'm using my words there. And so Jesus insisted, and so Peter went. And then when Peter went to this house, he'd been listening to what Jesus had to say on the way there. We had to walk several miles to get there. And in Acts 10, 34 to 39, Peter's explaining things to this Roman soldier and his household. He, he was the commander of a kind of a legion of people or something like that. And Peter said, you know, my religion, the Jewish religion says, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't initiate any conversation with you, and I shouldn't even be in your house. But he said, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but he treats everyone on the same basis. He said, it makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. They're all acceptable before him. And he said, let me tell you how this came about in my understanding. He said, it started in Judea in Galilee. He said, John, John the Baptist, preached a total life change. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for 
action. You know, I'm a type A person and I'm all about action. So that kind of caught my attention. He said, Jesus went through the countryside helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the slanderer liar. I can't remember if this is the Passion or the Mirror translation I'm using, but he went around helping everybody who was beaten down by the slanderer liar. Some other translations say by the devil, but the words we get for devil actually mean slanderer, liar, deceiver. And I appreciate this translation so very much because people get beaten down by lies, by slander, by the accuser, sometimes the accusing voice of religion. And my experience has been that generally happens by the people we love the most and we need to be affirmed and encouraged by rather than beaten down by. So Peter goes on to say, Jesus was able to do all of this. And of course, he knew firsthand because he was with him. He said, because God was with him. Peter underwent a total life change several times, but after that particular thing, a total life change in regard to how he viewed and related to people who were not Jewish. And it cost him, cost him too, but we're going to learn about somebody else that it cost a whole lot more. That's with a guy by the name of Saul. So I want to tell you about Saul. 2,000 years ago, Saul was at the very top of the Jewish political, social, and religious ladder. In Philippians 3, he described his life as following. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And we know from other writings from church history and stuff that his mom and dad were both Jewish. They were rich. They were elite part of society. They spoke Hebrew as opposed to the common Aramaic that others of lesser status spoke. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He said he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, in that day, the Jews believed that you were born into the human race, and then when you were circumcised, you became a member of God's chosen race, the Jews. That was the Jews' sign of being chosen by God. That, of course, was true if you were a man, but obviously not if you were a woman. Circumcision was the ultimate Jewish religious sign of doing something to get accepted by their small g, angry Eros God, and making them feel like they were better than other people. Paul said he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, that's significant because a few hundred years before Saul, before Jesus, when a nation split, 10 of the 12 tribes left Jerusalem and formed another government, another country, if you will, with a different king. And they left Jerusalem and the temple, and only the tribe of Benjamin stayed there with Judah. So being a tribe of Benjamin was a great pedigree. He studied under the great Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of his generation. He was most likely either a member of the Sanhedrin or he was in training to be a member. He had to be 30 years old. and We don't know exactly how old he was. And the Sanhedrin was a combination of Supreme Court and House of Congress. It was religion and law and politics all mixed into one, all based on Jewish religion, the law of sacrifices and performance-based religion. So he was a leader and extremely involved in that. He himself said he was without fault, in keeping the 613 laws of Moses and the other 2,000 or so laws that the Pharisees had come up with. He believed Jesus was a fake. 
He probably was in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. If not, he was certainly in the country. And shortly after that came to Jerusalem and he knew all of the stuff that happened. He thought all the stuff was a fake. He believed the common lie that the religious people believed that Jesus' followers stole the body from the tomb and that Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead. Saul was immersed in Eros love. And I've been teaching you all about that. He thought God's love was conditional, eros love. You do what I want, when I want it, how I want it, better than anybody else, and I'll love you and I'll reward you for that. You don't, you're toast. I'll get somebody else who does. And that's what they believed God was like. Now, he heard Jesus teach that the only true God was not like he thought, instead of eros love, that the only true God was agape love. And that in infuriated him. That went against everything he learned, believed, and taught, and that he himself taught. Sadly, many of us have found that's true today with religion, especially evangelical Christian religion, where I was a pastor for 30 years. Sadly, when people come and say, no, there are no conditions to God's love. It's unconditional. It's for everyone. Grace is for everyone. God includes everybody. Unfortunately, that can just infuriate people who don't believe that's true. All right. Jesus and his followers believed that everyone was included, that Jesus fulfilled the law and the sacrifices, that there was no longer any need for them. They believed that Papa, Jesus' father, the only true God, was the father of all people, not just the Jewish men. Jesus said he was God, just like God. They said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he said, we're all just like him. That infuriated them. Saul believed the lies of separation and the lies of a small-g, angry, retributive, list-keeping God. So when he was shown by Jesus and Jesus' followers that there was no separation, God wasn't angry, God wasn't keeping a list, God wasn't into retribution, God was agape, not eros. God hung out with the very people Saul and the Pharisees hated and considered unclean and unworthy and having no possibility of God loving and approving them. Well, that just, that blew the... (laughs) Saul just went nuts. It said he went around like a madman, just angrily, brutally persecuting Christians, including killing them. Jesus was just the opposite, and Paul didn't think that that's the way God was. Jesus loved and liked and hung out with the very people that Saul and religion condemned. Saul and the Pharisees, every morning, the men, the Pharisees would pray this, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a woman, I'm not a slave, and not a Gentile. That was anybody that wasn't Jewish. I'm going to come back to that again. But every morning they prayed, thank you, Lord, that I am not a woman, not a slave, not a Gentile. Saul saw Jesus as not only a fake and as wrong, but as a huge threat to Saul's status, his income, his way of life, his lifestyle. Saul believed that he and his religious organization were right and everybody else was wrong. Sound familiar? Saul got acclaim and status for teaching that and a very good salary and all the perks that went with it. Saul, at an early age, as far as they were concerned, somewhere around 30 years old, give or take a year or two, he became the chief representative of the Jewish legal and religious system in debunking Jesus' claims and of killing Jesus' followers if they didn't renounce Jesus and imprisoning them and taking away their jobs and property and all sorts of things. He carried official documents from the government 
authorizing him to do that. And he did it. That was his full-time deal. He was passionate about it. He believed he was God's representative. He believed he was doing God's will, the will of the angry Eros God. He believed he was serving that God in eradicating Christ followers and thus promoting and upholding the religious law system. Well, then, five or six years after Jesus finished at work at the cross, while Saul was out doing this stuff, breathing out murderous threats, Scripture says, on his way to killing and imprisoning Christians in Tarsus, God appeared in a light that was, Saul described it as a gazillion times brighter than the sun, and in the middle of that light was a man. And Saul knew this was God, some form. He sees this man in a brilliant light, and he said, Who are you? And the man said, I'm Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Saul wasn't seeking Jesus He was against Jesus. Jesus was seeking Saul, and he knew right where he was, and of course he found him. Later on, when writing about that, Saul, whose name by then was changed to Paul, wrote that at that moment in time, he died and he no longer lived. Here's what he wrote in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I'm going to start out with the mirror version here. He says, so here I am, dead and alive at the same time. I'm dead to the old me that was trying to be alive. I'm dead to that, and now I'm alive to the real me, which is Christ in me. I'm co-crucified and now alive. He said, what a glorious entanglement, and that's a great quantum word, what a glorious entanglement. I was in him in his death. Now I discover that he is infused in me in my life. For the first time, I'm free to be me in my skin, immersed in his faith and our joint sonship. He loves me and believes in me. He's God's gift to me. And we get to share that same gift. We're in the same place. Remember, Paul had been the champion of Moses' law and thought Jesus was a fake. Well, look at this next verse, Galatians 2.21. He said, it's an insult to the grace of God to prefer Moses to Jesus. If the law could justify you, then Jesus wasted a time and died in your death. That would reduce salvation to a ludicrous contest between your obedience and the obedience of Christ. <laughs> Other translations, more traditional translations, say it this way, Paul speaking. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. By saying these things, Paul says, I'm not going against God's grace, just the opposite. If the law can make us right with God, then Christ's death would be useless. Paul said he died. Now, obviously not physically, but his whole way of life died. Most people don't know this unless you were to study it and study the custom and the histories and the culture and everything. You wouldn't know it. But when Paul, when God appeared to him, Jesus appeared to him, Paul's old way of life totally ended. He lost his job, his income, his status, his friends. Most likely he was married and he lost his wife. And all of these things, his family, his Hebrew of Hebrews family, he was disowned by all of them. And he literally had to start over with a new life. 
He said that he died, again, not physically, but he lost all of those things. He lost what he believed, what he was willing to kill for. He died to all of that. And he had to start all over with a total life change. He didn't have anything. Family, friends, associates, income, nothing. Do you know who took him in and who provided for him and who helped him? Christ followers. Those whom he was on the way to kill and persecute. Jesus said, I want you to go to this particular street, go see this guy. So he did. The guy took him in. Jesus told another follower, he said, go to this place. This is where he is. You guys nurse him back to health. He was blind because of the bright light. I want you to take him in. I want you to start telling him about me, and I'll tell you what to do from then on. So they did. Not initially. I mean, the the guy said, no, Jesus, not Saul. He's the guy who's coming to kill us. Jesus said, no, he's going to be my guy, and I want you to take him in. Do you know why they took him in? Because Jesus asked them to. So I want to tie in the story of people that sometimes that we help, that you know in your life, who had to start all over, with the stories of Peter and Saul starting all over. And again, I I want to go through what they said about this. Peter reiterated the past, and he said, John the Baptist came preaching a total life change. So Jesus went around doing good and helping people. Peter, having a total life change, listening to God, going to help those people whom God sent him to, even if he thought that they were the worst of the worst. Saul, having a total life change, becoming the apostle of grace, and in writing two-thirds of the New Testament, and being taken in by the very people that he'd hated before. And I want to apply all that to us. It all starts, my understanding, with a mindset change, a change of mind, what was the original word metanoia. Instead of being in a performance fear-based system of thinking, thinking that God is eros, that he's fickle, instead of being in a fear-based religious system and working and trying to gain and maintain favor and blessing with that concept of God by keeping rules and doing the things that religion prescribes for God, instead of all of that, a radical life change into grace. Remember Saul in the Pharisees' prayer? Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman, slave, or Gentile. Later, Paul wrote this in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. He wrote several times, grace to all, grace for all people. Colossians 3.11, Paul said, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, between circumcised and uncircumcised. There's No difference between nations, barbarian, Scythian, or whatever, status, whatever. Christ is all and is in all. Can you see how Paul just had a total, total life change? He was dependent on Christ alone for all of his support. He went from a mindset of separation and elitism and judging and excluding to having a mindset of relating to God 24-7 and understanding we're all one with God in union with God. God's always in us and with us and speaking to us and everybody else. A mindset of knowing he was in Christ and then doing what Jesus did, just what Jesus did with Papa and what he wants us to do, listen to God all the time and say and do what Jesus asks us to say and do in any given moment. I'm going to give you just a few scriptures of how Jesus talked about that. John 5, 19, Jesus said, I speak to you eternal truth. He said, I'm unable to do anything for myself or through my own initiative. I only do the work that I see the Father doing, for the Son does the same work as his Father. 
John 12, 49. Jesus said, I've not spoken on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and what to speak. And I know what he commands me means eternal life. All that I say, I speak only in accordance with what the Father has told me. We know from Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John, that as Jesus is in this world, so are we. Then Jesus said in John 3, 34, He whom God sent, that was Jesus, and that's us, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit sparingly. He gives the Spirit without measure. You have the Holy Spirit of God, Christ in you, grace without measure, overflowing. You've got Christ in you. You have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of grace. Just like Jesus, you're one with the Father and Jesus and grace. So now what? Right, here's what I'm getting to with all of this. Now we listen to God. We listen to Papa and Jesus or grace, whatever you want to call them. We listen and we then do what they ask us to do and say what they ask us to say. And in the process, we do what Jesus did in his ministry. We go around doing good and helping people and setting them free from the lies of the deceiver and the liar. Here's what you will not hear them saying to you. You won't hear them saying to judge or condemn or to exclude or separate yourself from people or to shame them. They will always lead you towards a deeper movement of love. You'll hear them give you words of encouragement and inspiration and hope and restoration. You may have them say at any given time, any given place, help this person here, this person who you wouldn't even have known about, like Peter and a Roman soldier, like Judas and Ananias accepting Saul. Help that person. You may hear them say, help this person whom you thought was really bad, and you'll be helping somebody who may turn into the greatest champion of God's unconditional love and grace in, the, in this generation, like Saul did. You'll hear them impress upon your spirit to provide something that other people need. Sometimes there will be people starting all over. You'll hear them say, hey, give this person a ride or give them a call or smile to them or just ask them how they're doing or provide something that they need. Sometimes it will be a person like the mom we're helping right now with two kids who's starting all over and has nothing and it'll be giving to that either financially or with a piece of furniture or whatever. Sometimes it'll be somebody in your own household. Somebody will be with a neighbor, maybe a waitress or a co-worker. At any given moment, just be tuned in to God and do what God asks you to do and say what God asks you to say. And then God will provide the power and the means and everything to partner with God in doing what God asks you to do. Hey, everybody, I hope this is encouraging to you. It certainly is to me, and I look forward to continuing on this journey of growing in grace with you. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.